This is If That Makes Sense. And coming up at the end of May, this show will be taking its first break. We'll be taking the summer to work on bringing you the best version of this show when we come back to you in the fall. So be sure to subscribe before then and be checking back in with us to make sure you're not missing that brand new season coming this fall. And now, some of what's coming up from today's conversation on creation. There is something deeper that's necessary that that connects us. Like, why do people like houseplants? Like, what? (laughs) There are houseplant freaks out there. I'm one of them. (laughs) It's like, I need another one. I already have 12, but I need 13. This is If That Makes Sense, the Family Life original podcast about what life is really like as a Christian in your 20s. And I am Tim. I am Becky. I'm Robbie. We're talking about creation today. Creation. It's spring. It's life. We've come and gone through Easter and all the significance of that. And now the whole planet is is coming to life in this beautiful, metaphorical, organic, amazing creation that God has made. But before we get into all that, because clearly I'm just a little bit excited. We're both just jumping I think we're all like trying not to jump out of our seats right now. Before we get into it, what could we possibly say before we get into it? Because the world is so cool and creation is so cool and God is so amazing. So what's your favorite part of creation? Mm -hmm. My favorite part of creation is the sunrise. The sunset is okay. I know they're pretty much the same thing, but... The sunrise. My favorite saying about the sunrise is it is always constant yet never the same. Mm. And I get up super early, so most times I am up to greet the sunrise. Just the colors and the different variances in every day. Um, Sometimes it's bright. Sometimes it's pastel. Sometimes there's a lot of clouds. Sometimes it's gray and rainy like this morning, but it's Mm. still absolutely gorgeous. And it just, whatever I'm doing, it makes me stop and just stare in awe. And it's just, I could go on all day and talk about the sunrise. The heavens declare the glory of God. Yes, yes. It's in scripture. Mm -hmm. My uncle was telling me, because I was like, why does the sun look so golden in the morning? Like it just looks normal during the day, but there's something about sunrise. It just looks different color. And he was telling me that because the earth is bent and the sun is just coming up, it actually bends the light waves and actually changes the color of the sunlight so it does look more golden in the evening and the morning. So cool. That is so cool. So it actually does have a, a, a special glow in morning and evening. I love that, that there's actually... We, we've we've known this for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's extra beautiful in the morning and evening, but then when we get to the point in our own development where we can understand the science behind it, it doesn't strip the magic away from it, I don't think. It makes it more amazing to say, wow, there's these crazy photonic properties to how light does this. It's above my head. Maybe that's why it doesn't take the magic out of it for me is because mm-hmm. I still can't mm-hmm. fully wrap my head around it. But that's just amazing. That's so cool. There's a, there's a reason behind the way it is how it is. And somebody told me once too, because I was telling them like, I just love the morning sun and the evening sun. And they were telling me like, it it reminds them of like, we're going to stare Jesus in the face. Like his light will be right there. When the sun's above you, you're like, oh, the sun's so pretty. But there's just something about it just being right in your face that almost reminds you of like, wow, God is light. And he's going to someday, we're going to be right face to face with that light. That's beautiful. This is cool. I always like to imagine, and this is my imagination, so we'll preface it with that, <laughs> that 
God is painting the sunrise for me every morning. And reality is we have the science behind it and we know why it's doing what it's doing, but it's like God created everything so specifically. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, he's painting the sunrise. And for you, working on the farm, getting up early, not everybody gets that. I'm Mm -hmm. sleeping. I don't always (laughs) see the sunrise. (laughs) It almost is just for you in that sense because not everyone is seeing it. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, and something I want to say to what you just said, Becky, is I think you are more correct Mm -hmm. to see it as a gift your father in heaven is painting for you Mm -hmm. than you would be to say, oh, it looks pretty to my human eyes, but really it's just bent light at such and such an angle from so many millions of miles away, hitting my ocular nerves in such a way. Okay, well, that's what's going on. But the more true thing behind it is the heart that made that sunrise. It's like mm-hmm. a quote. I'm not going to get the quote right, but it's a something C.S. Lewis said where he was talking about stars and how they've captivated people for thousands of years. And they're, they're you know, almost magical. They're just amazing. He said, you could look at stars and say, well, they're not really these magical diamonds in the night sky. They're actually just burning uh, balls of gas millions of miles away, suspended in nothingness. And he said, no, you're telling me what a star is made of, but that's not what a star is. What a star is, is God's handiwork. What a star is, is God's glory in the sky. So I love that. The difference between what it's made of and what it is. Well, the same could be true of when we create something. You know, if I make a painting, oh, it's just pigment on canvas. Like, that's all it is. It's just the woven canvas and the gesso and the paint that's on there. But no, it's it's so much more because it's something that I, I breathed, quote, life into by painting this picture. And so, yeah, God's using these elements, but yet he's making this picture for you to enjoy. And he created each one of us differently. So he, when he created me, he knew that the sunrise would be just my absolute joy in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the fact that when he created us, he also created creation and meld the two together. And that looks different for each one of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because yes. you were talking about the sun and you were talking about stars because for my sister, that's what she loves, like the heavens and the stars and stuff. And for me, it's like, I can't. It's too big. I can't. That's cool, but I can't. It's too much for me. So for me, that doesn't do it. Like, I love it. But for me, it's looking the very opposite way, which is looking down at the earth and like the little flowers that are like the size of your pinky nail. And like what insect pollinates that tiny flower? Something has to. Otherwise, it wouldn't reproduce. Or like a butterfly, which is like a, a, a worm. And then it like turns into this liquid Christmas ornament with gold diamonds <laughs> on it, and then the Christmas ornament bursts open, and it's this fairy with <laughs> wings, and it flies away. It's like, what? I you just give an award to how you just described the process. You have of a revolutionized butterfly. the way I now understand that. That and, is fantastic. And science, like they can't, they like they can explain. Oh, balls of gas or stars or whatever. Like they've it's tried true. to understand what goes on inside a, a cocoon and inside a chrysalis. They can't do it. That's like, so cool. They, it, That's so cool. It literally liquefies. If you cut it open, it will just – it's it, a puddle. How does it? How does a puddle turn into – I don't know. Like that – that's it for me. Well, as smart as we get, there's always going to be something relatively simple mm-hmm. that confounds us. And mm-hmm. we can tell you everything about it. But at the end, it's going to come down to a 
a how and we'll be like, oh, we just don't know how it does it or, or even a why. Well, we just don't know why it is the way it is. It's the butterfly turns into goo and it comes back together. How? We don't exactly know. Why? We're, we definitely don't know. So science is beautiful because it expands our ability to understand these things. But at the same time, it, it shows us how much more we have to learn. It's interesting that the kinds of creation that can just capture our hearts can be humongous, mm-hmm. like the stars and the sun. They can be infinitesimal, not infinitesimal, very tiny, like like a little flower, like cells and, and all that stuff. Maybe somewhere in between there, there's a part of creation that is my one of my personal favorites, and it's very specific. It's it's very specific. <laughs> Dogs. I knew it. I knew it. Dogs. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> Come on. Dogs. Like, seriously. No, one, just because the obvious reasons. Like, they're adorable. They're soft. They're playful. Like, that It would be enough. But on maybe even a, a deeper, like, spiritual sense, dogs, to me, they are unnecessary. Now, why would that be a good thing? What I mean by saying that dogs are unnecessary is like we can understand why we need gravity. We can understand why we need photosynthesis. We can understand why we need food, why we need reproduction, why we need all these things for life to continue. Continue. Why would we need an animal that's just like, it's just selfless. It's just companionship. A lot of breeds serve pretty much no purpose other than helping people mm-hmm. emotionally, mm-hmm. being companionship to them. There are lots of dogs that couldn't hunt to save their lives and couldn't pull a sled to save their lives. Wouldn't survive in and the woods. Could never <laughs> survive in the woods. So, like, they are useless to, quote, nature, and you could say, but they're incredibly precious to us and what they help us with. All of creation comes from God, even if it's a breed that we ourselves have kind of crafted over the years and with with selective breeding and things but all the potential for that friendliness that is in those dogs is there because God gave it to them thousands of years ago when he made the first dog kind so that's why i say they're unnecessary quote quote because they're a gift they're above and beyond and they show me that we have a generous creator not a creator who gives us just what we need, you know, you'll get through. Just, you know, stiff upper lip, you'll get through. Cup of water, scrap of bread. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've given you the bo- building blocks for life. Just oh. muddle through somehow. No, he's oh. generous. He gave us things we don't even need, like dogs. And come on, let's be honest. We know we really do need them too. See, and that that's that's and I feel like you could argue that you need them because, mm-hmm. you know, they've done studies switching gears slightly with, you know, this apartment complex in the city with no green space at all, no mm-hmm. house plants, no lawn, just concrete with mm-hmm. what you need. Well, you need food and a place to live. That's all you need. And then here's this apartment complex where there's house plants and there's a lawn and a garden and like the crime rate was higher with the no green space and the crime rate was lower with the green space. And it's this weird thing where it's like, well, they had everything they needed. What was the problem? They had food and shelter. But yet there is something deeper that's necessary that that connects us to, you know, this animal that I have this connection with and this 
plant. Like, why do people like houseplants? Like, what? <laughs> there are houseplant freaks out there. I'm one of them. <laughs> Where it's like, I need another one. I already have 12, but I need 13. <laughs> and it's just something about that. That, And you can't describe it. Like you were saying, like, well, it's, it, I don't know. It's not necessary. But yeah, yet right. it is at the same yeah, yeah. point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can see the attributes of God in a dog too. Like look at that loyalty. Like mm. God is loyal and faithful to us. He lets us see that through this, you know? Yeah, yes, definitely. And to get a, a, a little scripture even here for that. Acts 14, 17. There's something theologically that pastors, theologians would call common grace or general revelation, the two concepts are kind of similar. General revelation being that God has made himself known. You can't live in the world and be like, yeah, nothing probably made this. Like Everybody basically knows that. Not saying that there aren't atheists out there, but basically that's the understanding people come away with. That's a general revelation that there's something big out there. And then common grace is tied to that, that God has given grace to everyone in the sun shining on the just mm. and the unjust and the rain falling on the just and the unjust. And Acts fourteen seventeen, Paul is witnessing to a bunch of Gentiles, never heard of the God of Israel. And he says to them, yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So, God hadn't revealed himself specifically to them, but he had showed them through rain and harvest, there's a good God out there. And so it's like you said, a dog has loyalty. You wouldn't have to know the Christian God to know, wow, whatever is behind the life of this universe, must there must be good there. There must be loyalty. Loyalty must be a good thing if it's, if it's woven through reality in this way. Well, I want to talk a little bit in in a bit about how we can use that to point people to the true Christian God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. If you didn't stop us, we'd just keep getting ahead of ourselves. (laughs) So Genesis 1.26 tells humans to have dominion over creation. Dominion isn't a word we use a lot. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. What should that look like? And what should that not look like? For me, I think it looks like feeding the earthworms. And I'll expand on that because... I hope so, because I'm intrigued. Uh (laughs) What does that mean? Um, So earthworms are, to me personally, slimy and gross and just... Yeah, they exist, but when I step on them and they squirm, they freak me out. If I'm going fishing, somebody else is going to have to put that on the hook for me. I can't do that. So the visual and textual fact of an earthworm is just not appealing to me. But what the earthworm does is, so the earthworm is basically the caretaker of the soil. I love this already. And yeah, so to tell the health of your soil, you look at how many earthworms are in like a square foot. And the more you have, the healthier your soil is because what they do is they help break up the soil so air can get in. They help place nutrients in the proper area, and they basically just help with the overall health of your soil. If your soil needs something, the earthworm needs to be there to help get it where it needs to go or to break it down or to do whatever. So if the earthworm is not healthy and doing its job, all of vegetation in that area is not going to be healthy. It's not going to have the ability to grow like it needs to grow or 
if it does produce a tomato, it's only going to produce a few instead of a bunch, and the vitamin and mineral content in that tomato is not going to be as high and healthy for you when you eat that tomato, or if it's a tree and you're using it for shade, whatever grows goes all the way back to the earthworm. Because if the earthworm is not there and doing its job, then the soil can't even do what it needs to do for the plant. So for me, dominion over creation looks like at first, that's a very overwhelming thought. It's like there is so much mm-hmm. earth and there's so much wrong things going on with the earth itself, whether it's a tornado or a hurricane or a tree rot problem or whatever it is. There's so much there that it's overwhelming. But if I focus on the small little part that I can do of feeding the earthworm, then it starts to take care of itself. So for me, it's finding that small thing that I can help the earth with so it can replenish itself. Now that's just using my love of gardening and being outside and vegetation, but I'm sure it applies to dogs and taking care of the small things for the dog so the dog can be loyal and do what it needs to do. But for me, it looks like feeding the earthworms. That's great. Oh, I love it. See, and that's, I think those of us that don't farm or garden or don't have the opportunity or the space or whatever oftentimes don't think about how one thing is connected to another, to another, to another. That sandwich that you're eating, whatever, where did it come from? It had to come from somewhere, which came from somewhere, which came, oh, and then by the way, you need the sunlight, you know, because the sun feeds the grass and feeds the, you know, the stuff that the worm is eating. It's like, it's, I think it's easy sometimes to forget that everything is all all connected and one little thing here affects one little thing here. And I was going to say the same thing about like just doing your part because sometimes you're like, I don't know, I can't prevent the rainforest from being, you know, I can't stop this from happening. I can't stop. I, I just, whatever, I just can't do anything. But I feel like if you just do your little thing, you know, like, well, maybe you could Maybe you could ride your bike this day and instead of driving your car, and that would be better for the air. And maybe you could – because I've spent time overseas as well as you have, and you look at the the waste disposal, and it's sort of non-existent, and it's like there's just piles of trash everywhere, and there's just smog in the air because they just use their factories and use their whatever, and, and, it's, and it just – and then you compare that to – some things that you see here where it's like, okay, well, we try to keep our waste in one spot and we try to do the best we can. And so, okay, what can I do? Well, maybe I'll ride a bike today or maybe I'll ride with someone else today. Maybe I'll do something simple like keep a metal fork and spoon at work instead of use a plastic one, use a plastic one, use a plastic. Like, you know how many plastic spoons you I need to do that. You do? <laughs> and, you know, and I, I don't want this to turn into some – Whatever, it could easily de-escalate into something crazy. But I think a lot of Christians sort of make fun of the green earth. Like, oh, my goodness, you guys are just a bunch of hippies. Just use as much plastic as you want. Use the plastic bags. Use the plastic straws. Who cares? We have dominion. (laughs) And it's like I don't think dominion means destroying what is here because it's convenient for me to use a plastic bag or a plastic fork or whatever just because it's easy for me doesn't mean maybe that's what I I should do. Even that little teeny-weeny thing, can I use a metal fork? Could I use a paper bag instead of a plastic bag? Could Could I plant a small garden and at least grow some tomatoes or... You know, something that's easier to grow on a, on a little flower pot on my porch. You know, like what little small thing could I do? 
I can't change all the massive problems that humanity has created, but what's the one small little teeny-weeny thing I could do? That's really good. And about the argument that you use use the plastic, use of this and use of that, it's, it's not going to hurt anything. You're right. We do say that a lot. And it, it what you said that struck me from there is you said, should I really do that just because it's the easier, more convenient thing? It made me think, wow, where else in our Christian lives do we think it's okay to make the allowance for, oh, it's easier, it's the quicker thing, it's the more convenient thing, so do that. Like, ouch, we're all about personal righteousness. We're all about not making compromise when it comes to following the Lord. So it's just interesting to me hearing you say that. I, it's kind of convicting because it's like I often do think that like, it's fine. My time is really important. <laughs> I don't have time to wash this silverware. You can use plasticware. <laughs> My time is, is important. God understands. It's it's just another drop in the bucket anyway. Everybody's doing it. Right. Where else does that logic hold up in the Christian morality? Nowhere. So why would I let it slide in my approach to how I steward what I've been given for the earth? And that's and a conviction for me. That mentality is very much the way everybody else is doing it. Because again, you go to foreign countries and and you have your candy wrapper, you just throw it on the ground. And when I was there, I was so tempted to be like, this street is full of trash anyway. It won't matter. I'll just throw it on the ground. And I was like, but because I said that, then you're going to say that and you're going to say that and you're everyone's going to say that. If you're the one guy that's like, no, I should pick that up. You know, like I should, you know, I worked at a Christian camp. I think you worked at the same camp. And mm-hmm. that was something that the director would say specifically about trash. He's like, I don't actually care if it's your trash or not. If you see it, you know, you should pick it up. Like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Like, hmm, well, I didn't make that mess, so I'm not responsible. I'm not whatever. But he was like, you know, why don't you be the person to to make that small change you know, because everybody else is walking by it saying, well, I didn't throw it there. Well, I didn't. Th- what, what if you're the guy that's like, well, I didn't throw it there, but I can pick mm. it up. And it can. It's a it's a matter of discipline to believe that it can make a difference because mm-hmm. I'm hearing you and I'm thinking, but that's so hard, Robbie. And I'm also thinking, but really, though, it's not going to change anybody's mind. But that mentality that I have even saying that is the mind that needs to be changed mm-hmm. and is the mind that can be changed. And that's the mindset that stands in front of us doing something that does make a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we evangelicals feel that way about voting? No, we always say, it doesn't matter. You've got to get out there and make exactly. your Do your part. So then why wouldn't <laughs> we also do our part for, yeah, creation? And I think when you're in those circumstances and you're, no matter what, party you fall into, if you're, oh, I'm going to pick it up because I can, or, oh, somebody else will get it. The person who picks it up, everybody notices because it's something outside of the norm. So it might be a seed that you're planting where, okay, I picked up this piece of garbage. The group of people I was with just kind of looked at me like, "Ah, well, somebody else will throw something else down. Eventually, that seed is going to bear some kind of fruit. So it may not have much impact right away, but they're going to remember it. And somewhere along the way, it has the potential to be used to convict of, oh, now I'm going to be that person to pick it up. Absolutely. I think it's a it's a balancing act between, oh, I can't I shouldn't use plastic silverware all the time, but I also shouldn't be carrying around a metal fork in my purse. So when I'm at a restaurant, I can then use my metal fork and then wrap it in a napkin and somehow take it home and wash it. And this is going on the verge of crazy. There's that balancing act between, yes, I'm going to be wise and steward what I've been given well, but I'm also not going to be a fanatic about it because both ends have 
downsides to them. Absolutely. The, the words of Jesus that if you've been faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. Mm-hmm. He's entrusted us with the earth right now. And like you said, Becky, that can feel kind of overwhelming looking at that. There's so much creation. But what is the little that he has entrusted you with that you can be faithful with right now? And someday he'll make you faithful over much in his new kingdom. I do think about my dog, like you said, and my yard. I have a yard. How can I be faithful in stewarding that part of creation? Because God is watching how I treat my dog. He's watching how I care for my yard. He's watching how I upkeep my belongings. These are things he has given to me. I don't get to say, oh, it's my thing. I don't have to worry about if it looks trashy. Well, one, it's God's thing, so you should take care of it for him. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. This has to do with our relationships to other people as well. Everything that we do affects somebody else. It's like your earthworms, that it affects more than just the earthworms. How I treat my yard affects my neighbors. How I raise my dog affects anybody who comes to visit my house. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have witnessed my dog's energy. I do my best to get most of that energy out. But um, know that the version of him that you meet when you come to my home is the, the, the one that has already had a chance to burn off some of that excess energy he has. It, what we do with what we've been entrusted isn't just between us and God, although it is, and that should be enough. It also is a matter of loving our neighbors. So being faithful with a little, God recognizes that. And someday he'll trust you to be faithful over much in his new kingdom. Also, I'm just saying the dog is so excited to see you because he loves you. What if we were that excited to spend time with God? See, there's analogies in there everywhere. Yep. That's true. And he's probably That's- that excited to see you, you know. How can we use our passion for creation in any of its forms to help others see God more clearly or to help them see him for the first time? I uh, love to go back to Genesis for this question because God created the whole earth. So we are living, breathing representations of his handiwork, but also in his handiwork. And if we look at the creation story, he didn't start with humans and then need a place for humans to live. He wasn't like, oh, I want companionship. I want fellowship. I'm going to create a human. Oh, where's this human going to live? Because he can't breathe without oxygen and all of that stuff. He started with the different details of creation and took five whole days to create them. He did light and darkness, and he did water, and he did sea creatures, and he did land, and he did every piece of it. And then he said, let us make mankind in our image. And he did us differently. Instead of speaking us into existence, he took dirt and formed us and then literally breathed into us. And then I personally think, and it's not in the text, so I can't prove this, but after he made humankind, I can't think that he just said, oh, go explore the earth. I imagine him showing off his creation. Adam, I made this for you, and this is what it does. And I made this for you, and this is what it does. And oh, look at that. I just made that because that's fun to have and smile at. 
then he put Adam in charge of stewarding it and guiding it and naming all of it. So literally everything we are and everything we have is because God's handiwork created it. And I find enjoyment in the sunrise and I can point other people to that. I can enjoy the sun with the sunrise with them, but also point out the the pieces of God in that. The sunrise is always constant and never the same. God is always constant and we are always learning new things about him. His character doesn't change, but our understanding of him changes. Or he painted the different colors in the sky and he gives us different opportunities. We can use what God has put on this earth and the characteristics that we see in it to draw those characteristics to God and say, this is what God is and this is how it correlates. So for me, I have to go, I don't have to, I get to go back to the creation story and look at all that God did there and then translate it into the now because it's living and breathing today. See, and that's so cool because I that that's I'm I'm working on this big aquarium project. I want to put aquarium in my living room, but it's like, oh, first I have to build the stand for it, and then I have to get the tank ready, and then I have to put the sand in and the rocks and the wood, and then I have to make sure the water levels are correct, and then I have to add plants and add CO2 so that the plants can thrive, and then I can add the fish. Like, I wouldn't just get a fish and be like, oh, no, now what am I supposed to do? (laughs) But there's something so satisfying for me when I step back at this create I created this little world I mean I didn't create it like like God does where he's just out of nothing I had to take stuff he already made and assemble it but you feel like I made this environment and now I get to watch this creature enjoy this environment I created and I get to feed them and I get to watch them eat their food and and I get to watch them move through the logs that I put in there and there's something satisfying about looking at this environment I created for them and then and then continuing to care for them and it's this like life exchange, like, oh, I'm keeping you alive and you're bringing me joy and discovery and it's this cycle. And, and so I've, I've heard um, uh, an analogy, I like analogies, I think Jesus does too. He uses them a lot. You're walking through the woods and you find this car, old broken down car, and, and it's very obvious that this car didn't just get here because it came out of nothing someone had to make it and assemble it and you would be like oh i wonder how this car got here did someone drive it here did someone crash did 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 it was it built here and then the woods were slowly built up around it but what about things that are alive like it's one thing to be like well that's a car like that's an inanimate object what about a bird that can fly or a fish that can swim like how did that get there like how can we possibly think that thing just sort of just happened? Like, you would never, ever think this car just happened, yeah. ever. But we think that about living creatures that are alive? What? And so I feel like that can be an opportunity to start those conversations. Like, wow, where do you think this life came from? Like, it had to come from somewhere. It, it couldn't. But I think Satan is just so good about blinding their eyes to be like, well, I'll just believe whatever I want to believe about it. And it's like, so I feel like using those parts of creation that you're passionate about, using your dogs, or maybe you're walking your dog and your dog starts a conversation with someone or you're doing your garden and someone walks by and you start a conversation. You know, I feel like you can use those those little bits that you're passionate. I'm really into aquariums. There's a lot of people that are interested in that kind of thing. 
you know, how can you use that and try to turn the conversation into, well, isn't God amazing? Definitely there is the aspect of the common interest can make a place for a conversation that introduces somebody to God. The common interest of aquariums, if you were to meet somebody who's into that and how you can talk about why you think it's fascinating. Or for me, yes, many conversations have been started by me walking my dog by somebody who's out working in their yard. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, we're talking about their life and my life. And it's like, just wow, God made this opportunity through this little beautiful creation and this four-legged creature. Even more so than just the commonality, though, that sparks a conversation that can lead to God, I think our love for creation itself can be a witness. Sometimes, like that plastic fork mentality, Robbie, we can view creation kind of crudely, kind of crassly as Christians. Like, well, God's going to make a new world someday anyways, you know. That's not really respectful of our Father's creation. We shouldn't be less respectful to creation because we're awaiting a new creation. Mm-hmm. We should be more on fire for we should be we should be more excited about this creation because we know who made it. We know how much it matters to him. And we know that anything he made, he made good and he has a purpose for. I think that speaks to people. I don't think that our our love for creation would be a distraction from the gospel to the world around us, I think, if anything, it would get their attention. Say, wow, why why are you volunteering in this way? Why why is this a passion you have? And then we get to say, well, because it's amazing, because God created it, because he loves it, because he made it. It's, it's all got a purpose. It's not just here just because. Everything has a purpose to fulfill, that it's creator designed lovingly for it to grow into. And I get to be part, you get to be part of gardening that process because God loves us and and that could lead to something really cool. I think that we take creation for granted because we have the end of the story. We know that one day this earth will be no more and it will be recreated into the perfect heaven and earth that we are so anxiously awaiting. Mm -hmm. A non-believer doesn't necessarily have the end of the story or that hope to hold on to if this world is all that they have and all that they know, when they die, their version of where they go or what happens is completely different than ours. So the fact that we are so excited about the earth that we all live in, that to them is their only reality, I think will spark that interest because for me at least, I can take it for granted and be like, well, one day I'm going to get a new body and a whole new earth to play with and mm-hmm. I'm just not going to worry too much about it now. But not everybody has the end of the story. Mm. So that can be a way to, like you said, Tim, spark that interest to be talking about what the end of the story is, to share that with them maybe for the first time because to them this world is all they have. But to me, I have a whole nother world coming and I need a way to share that with them and just stewarding what is in front of me and creation and getting excited about that can spark that conversation and hopefully help me not take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, the beautiful creation we have around us gets us to, as we said earlier, always ask, how did that happen? How, mm-hmm. how does this do what it does? And we, we turn to science wisely to try to understand how it happens. But science isn't going to be able to tell us the why it happens. But we're humans. We're always going to ask why. That's what we have as believers. 
we've got an answer and the world needs to hear it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of If That Makes Sense. If you've been enjoying this show, please let us know in the comments of whatever podcast app you're using. That will let us know how you feel about the show and how we can help make it its best. Also, that'll make it more likely for other people to find the show too. And there's a brand new Family Life original podcast to check out. It's called The Sunny Side, hosted by our own afternoon broadcast host, Sonny Delfiette. He's talking to fellow believers who have found hope and a light in Jesus during some of life's darkest times. It's called The Sunny Side, that's S-O-N-N-Y, and you can search it wherever you found this show. From us on If That Makes Sense, thanks so much for being a part of this group, and we hope you join us for the next one.